welcome to Rocket Talk, the Tor.com podcast. I am joined today by returning guest Mike Cole and a new guest, Isaac Fitzgerald. Mike is the author of five novels, including his completed Shadow Ops trilogy, which began with Control Point. His new series, beginning with Gemini Cell and continues with Javelin Rain on March 29th, is a military urban fantasy with demons and shit. He works in law enforcement, used to be in the military, and wears tight shirts. Welcome, Mike. <laughs> Thanks. Kid size, in fact. Kid size, petite. They look, they look good on you, though, man. They look good on thank you. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. Uh, that is Isaac Fitzgerald's voice that you hear. He is the editor at BuzzFeed Books. He co-hosts the podcast The Tell Show with Summer Ann Burton and has a book called Pen and Ink, which is all about the storytelling of tattoos. He has more Twitter followers than Mike and I combined. We are not self-conscious about this. Welcome, Isaac. Thank you so much. They're mostly bots. Don't worry about and, it. And also, I would like to point out that he has that coveted little blue check mark. Oh. <laughs> See if you if you tweet at me if I tweet at you on Twitter I could be a friggin' bag of smashed tarantulas you have no idea who I am but you know that Isaac Fitzgerald is Isaac Fitzgerald I'm verified it's if, <laughs> if my mother could see me now I'm not sure what the bar to clear for verified is but I think it means like somebody tried to impersonate you essentially right is that kind of what has to happen Well so I actually think uh, Twitter probably has um, partnerships with certain like media companies because I feel like a lot of people in media are the ones that get verified uh, I was very I, I'm like I'd be a liar I'm not gonna be like usually I can kind of downplay things but I won't lie when I first started at BuzzFeed and I got that blue check mark like they could have they could have been like we're taking away your pay for the next three months and I'd be like it's fine man I got I got that blue check mark I'll, make, I'll figure out a way to make ends meet which is weird because now I feel like I, I also feel like they're, they're given out pretty often. But I do also think you're right. If, if somebody gets a, if somebody's being impersonated, then that is when that comes up. Because there was that like incredible Twitter account that was like impersonating Chris Rock that I know, yeah. like people thought was real for a long time. Turned out was just somebody stealing people's jokes. Anyways, that's too much about Twitter. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me on Rocket Time. Awesome. Yeah, we'll stop talking about Twitter. Uh, we will not tell people about Mike's strategy to have me impersonate him on Twitter to get him a blue check mark. We won't. Can I? Can I? Can I point out one thing, Justin? And that one thing is that um, Chuck Wendig, who was like, who was had like what he had thirteen thousand, fourteen thousand followers, not verified. Aftermath hit the list. Verified. Mm. So if V.E. Schwab, who uh, who just hit the list, number 15 on the print list, congratulations to her, gets the blue check mark in the next month, that's gonna, I'm going to start getting suspicious that that's the criteria for authors. I like that you have the, like, I'm just picturing you in front of like a whiteboard doing a lot of math. <laughs> it's like, I like it's that. kind of pathetic. No, it's good. It's good. You, have this, you have this like beautiful mind theorem that you're like working on. Uh, what was the book that hit the list at number 15? What's the name of it? Uh, hey. A Gathering of Shadows which is the sequel to A Darker Shade of Magic. But yeah, no, Mike being in law enforcement, you know what he really has is the bulletin board with pictures tacked up to it and then lots of string, <laughs> lots of string connecting the various tacks to each other. I think that's at the at the very top is just the blue the blue check mark with like a giant question mark <laughs> written over it and he's like, "How did how does it get there? How does it work? Who's at the top?" So the thing is you guys are joking, but the fact is is that like 99% of my work both when I was in intelligence and now is done on an electronic tool called Palantir, like the seeing stones from the Lord of the Rings, and it is the <laughs> electronic version of what you're describing you you make objects and link them to other objects to try to have stuff fall out you know the gun to the person to the site to the crime to whatever and then you know things that would you wouldn't be able to see if it was all in text 
comes comes out in 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 that kind of thing. My favorite thing about being friends uh, with Mike Cole and talking with him is that you can just be joking around, and then all of a sudden he'll say something like that, and you get really scared. <laughs> <laughs> you have nothing to fear for me. We don't we don't target. Uh, okay, okay, that's enough. That is enough. Sir. <laughs> So, uh, so we mentioned there in your intro, Isaac, that you have a podcast called The Tell Show, and this is a new show. It came out like I think in January or February. Uh, how's podcasting? So it's really awesome. It's uh, really fun to explore. I won't lie. Uh, coming from, I've been in the books world for for many many years now, and I feel like I've got a good handle on it. So to jump into something that I have absolutely no understanding of. Uh, you know, I, for all I know, only my mother is listening to it right now. I'm hoping that that's not the case. Uh, but we've had uh, Cheryl Strayed was our initial guest. Um, and the kind of the idea behind the tell show is people tell stories that they haven't told publicly before. And it, she was just such a perfect guest to open up with. Um, and now we've got like three or four episodes under our belt. Uh, we've got a new one with Michael Ian Black uh, that's coming out very soon. Um, so, so I really enjoy it because... At, at my heart and what I love about books is this the idea of storytelling. Um, and so this is just kind of this other form of storytelling that I really, really enjoy. So it's been fun so far. Um, but if you have any tips, I would love to hear them. Yeah, I know the key to any uh, podcasting endeavor is that the actual hardest part about it is actually the sort of like production assistant role where you're like having to actually book guests, which is the most miserable thing to do. Uh, on a weekly or monthly basis. Cause it's like, you're always chasing people. That's like the hardest part. Well, if you like the recording is fun and easy, I find it's just the, uh, like the logistics of podcasting can really drag you down. Yeah. I mean, booking in any kind of, in any kind of, uh, uh, industry, right. is always really difficult because, and then also just like that question, also just finding listeners. I feel like can be like, I feel like I'm constantly out there just like hustling. But the, like the, the tell show is doing great, isn't it? I think, you know, I do. I, I do think it's doing well. It helps to be linked with an incredible uh, producer, Meg Kramer, and also to be linked to a giant, massive media company like BuzzFeed. Uh, but that said, I'm still like every like any way I can work it into conversation. It's basically like I'm saying like, hey, man, like I feel like a kid with like a garage band and I'm just like, listen to my demo. Uh, <laughs> like I'm just like anybody I meet. I'm just like, oh, you should check out my podcast. Uh, but yeah, no, I feel, I feel like booking is like definitely seeking out talent and basically having to ask them like, Hey, especially, you know, comedians or writers, people whose stories are actually money to them. I'm kind of being like, Hey, can you come on and give us one for free? So it's, but, but I, I hope the listeners enjoy it because I think it's, uh, what we've got is something pretty good so far. Justin, I'm going to have to plan the, uh, Robert Jackson Bennett podcast that he did with you so he can, he can see what, uh. What that was like. I don't mean to brag, but I think that thing is genius. <laughs> so, tell me, tell me, tell me. You, I, you've got to hear it. Like he's just a friend of ours. Is a writer who is he is lovely and batshit crazy, and um, he did like this whole thing where Justin and him were in this fine Italian restaurant and uh, like had sound effects and everything. It was it was bizarre. I love it. That's right. So, Mike, you have been on a lot of podcasts. Do you have any? Uh, you have any podcast advice for Isaac? No, I mean, the, the only thing I'll say, and I can only speak from the guest perspective because I've never hosted a podcast, um, is that it's just like convention panels, is that in the end, I think people don't really care about what it is you're selling. People just want to engage with funny and interesting people. People, you know, I'll, I'll go to a panel and somebody will put me on a panel on, I don't know, dinosaurs or some topic that I have nothing to do with anything I've written and nothing to do with anything I've known. Uh, and I'll gladly raise my hand and do it because I know that in the end, what I need to do if I want to engage with an audience, which is my goal in coming on a podcast, is be funny and be interesting. And that's really that's really all an audience cares about. The topic is almost irrelevant. Oh, and you are very funny. 
Well, thank you. I'm actually, I think I'm especially funny on Twitter, Justin. I feel like I don't get enough credit for my, my Twitter. I like this. I like this strong plug. Thanks. 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 That's a, at at Mike Cole. (laughs) I'm certainly funnier than Sam Sykes. If anyone on from Twitter is listening, if you were to give him a blue check, I would be very grateful. It would actually probably drive you crazy because you wouldn't figure out why. (laughs) I just want to get it. You wouldn't be able to trace it back. I just want to get it before Sam does, Justin. That's all I want. Oh, I like this competitiveness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll work on it. Um, so Isaac, uh, you, you mentioned the fact that you're connected to a large media company, which is of course Buzzfeed and, uh, Buzzfeed has a, a bit of a hot take reputation, you might say, uh, lots of listicles and clickbait and all of that. But, but Buzzfeed books is like, in my opinion, like properly and objectively good. Is it, is it kind of your baby or were you brought on after it came out? Like, I don't really know the story behind Buzzfeed books. Yeah, but... no, let, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you the story. And also I, I do want to start with, uh, just a couple of things. I'll start with a story, which is uh, because I'm very proud of everything that's on that site and the people that write it. Um, The lists that are written, I can tell you right now, I've tried to write some of the lists in the way that some of those talented human writers write them, and I can't. Like, I don't have that talent. They're really, really actually good at what they do. Uh, One of my favorite examples of this is one of my uh, co-workers. His name is Dave Stepera. He wrote a list that was 17 of the saddest pictures you've ever seen. And you click it, and all they were were pictures of kids... Uh, like, like, let's say, for an example, one picture would be two kids getting ready for the prom, right? Taking that prom photo. And the woman is in a prom dress. And the man is in a camouflage suit. <laughs> and Dave Stepera would just be like, that poor girl going to prom alone. <laughs> and that's all the list. It was 17 photos of different types of people wearing camo next to people not wearing camo. And he's basically, like, there's a guy in camo eating at a Denny's with his, and the family's around. He's like, that poor family doesn't have a father. Like, and that, it's really funny. It's really funny. So, that, so where my story is, uh, when it comes to the, using the phrase clickbait, I worked at a website, I'm not going to name names, it's back in the day, kind of mid-2000s, when Sarah Palin was named the vice presidential nominee for the GOP. I immediately did this list that was like eight more shocking things you didn't know about Sarah Palin. Uh, And you'd click it. And like, I literally just linked to anything I could find. And like somebody in Alaska on a blog was like, she's a witch. And I was like, (laughs) number seven, she's a witch. (laughs) Now that's, and I'm not proud of that. All right. I was a young man just doing an internet hustle. That's clickbait. That's clickbait. That's you, We got your click, and that's all we're interested in. Now, BuzzFeed is actually built on this idea of wanting you to share it. So not only do we want you to click into it, but we want you to be so either humored or t- relate to or maybe even be enraged by, but we want you to have a visceral feeling that makes you also want to share it. So it's kind of trying to bring you in, but also trying to, like, we have to do what we say in the headline, unlike other places where I've had to work, because our whole strategy is not only do you click it and read it, but it's also that you're going to be encouraged to share it. So sorry. So that's I just I just want to say that. And I love my coworkers very much. BuzzFeed Books, I've been there for two years now. Um, and it came out of like there's it's not it was not out of some. They weren't like, oh, we should really get in on this books game. Basically, another one of my coworkers, uh, this woman named Dory, wrote a list that was like 65 books to read in your 20s. And it got like over 4 million views or so, just something insane. And that's when they're like, oh, there's obviously a large books community on the internet. 
Um, and so they brought me on. And to be totally honest, when I came there, uh, I struggled because what I tried to do was kind of try to bring books to BuzzFeed, which is not going to work. But then I realized I could take the BuzzFeed, all the knowledge that they had, and bring it to books. And all of a sudden, I was able to think of like, not only like recommendation lists, which everybody loves, but like, which Bronte sisters are you? Kind of using like quizzes, what I like to call books entertainment, along with really well-written essays by authors that I love. Um, and along with, let's be honest, a fair amount of Harry Potter content because the kids love it <laughs> and I'm not here to fight it. Um, and so just kind of this mix of a place that I wanted to build, which was a joyful place for books. So I, I, it means a lot to me that you like it. I'm going to have to cross off one of my questions later, which just said, y'all really like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when Isaac says that he couldn't write humor, that, that's a hell of a statement because we met on uh, Shipwrecked, which is this um, – we, everybody writes fan fiction erotica and then the, and someone famous reads it while you sit behind them on a stage in front of a catcalling audience. Um, and we did Lord mostly can't call in at Mike because he's wearing a ridiculously tight, tight shirt. shirt. Yeah, I, I, I think I went. <laughs> I think I'd shopped in the in the eighth grade section for that show. But um, we had uh, he did a Tom Bombadil porno song, and the guy from Night Vale, I forget his name, the actor from the the, the very popular Night Vale podcast, read it, and he won first prize. So Isaac can definitely write humor. So when he says that he, uh, I, I by the way, I did Shadow Facts. That was my uh, character. Oh, that was a good one. Well, thanks. Uh, so uh, when Isaac says he he struggles with humor, that's that's saying something because because that ought, he had there wasn't a dry in the house. What Mike's trying to house. say is that I'm actually really good at writing rhyming erotica. That's what the listeners <laughs> funny just got there. Funny rhyming. All right, all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> um, but no, seriously. Uh, when it comes to Harry Potter, like basically. One, I have to admit that when I was younger, I was actually like, no, I'll never read those. And then I got a little older, long before BuzzFeed. And I did read them, and like I in, in, enjoyed them immensely. Uh, but I think they've come into their own in this incredible way that they are like the Star Wars of this generation. Mm-hmm. Like the, the readers, um, especially the readers that grew up with those books, uh, I think, it, I mean, that series has changed so many, so many lives. And kind of what I envision BuzzFeed books is like, of course, we're fanning that flame and really wanting to bring those Harry Potter readers enjoyable, entertaining stuff. But then also, if I can spin that off into new young readers discovering another series that they maybe haven't heard of, mm. or other authors that they, they would thoroughly enjoy, mm. um, that, is, that is like what I consider my mission. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an awesome gateway drug. If, if Harry Potter leads somebody to Philip Pullman, which is a little deeper into the genre, this is why when people get down on like pop genre fiction like Harry Potter or Twilight or, or um, uh, uh, Divergent, Insurgent, whatever that series is, Veronica Roth and um, the, the, the Hunger Games, I always get mad when people try to put that down because it's popular. Because if that gets people into genre, then I am a thousand percent for it. I also get mad just because like Veronica Roth did that like probably before I even knew how to like <laughs> what she was like 22. <laughs> like J.K. Rowling, like I'm older than J.K. Rowling was when she did it. Like come on, like that's what those people did was just incredible. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I, 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 I digress. Uh, first of all, a little Harry Potter aside. So my daughter is six and a very accomplished reader. She's she's already reading um you know short novels but she uh I, I, I wanted her to read harry potter so i kind of put it in front of her and i started to read it to her and she was reading it a little bit and then she pulled my mother-in-law aside who takes care of her during the day and said uh, uh mimi i don't know how to tell daddy that i don't want to read harry potter 
no. Oh my god, man. Oh. And so she she is liking some other geeky stuff, but like she bounced on Harry Potter and like I'm having a hard time making sure this isn't a referendum on me as a parent. So she may just be like too young. She just may just be too young. But yeah. well, it, it just reminds me there's this child book, this childhood book that I loved when I was a kid about this dad who brings his kid to a baseball park. And, like, the dad plays the drums really loud and, like, brings a tuba and, like, cheers at the top of his lungs. And then, like, kind of throughout the book, you realize that the kid hates it but doesn't know how to tell the dad. And then <laughs> kind of the end of the book is just the dad admitting that he absolutely hated doing it, too. He just thought it would be good for the kid. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, these moments happen. That's just parenthood. On the BuzzFeed books topic, it's super omnivoracious. Uh, it talks about, like, all kinds of books. And so uh, almost to a scary degree to its diversity. I mean, I think if you look on the page right now, there's like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg coloring book story and then like a Harry Potter story and, you know, like something about Bridget Jones. And so, Mike, you write what I would consider pretty hardcore genre fiction. Um, I, mean, I don't mean like lots of sex, but like deeply rooted in fantasy and science fiction, kind of hard. There's, there's some, but that's it's not that kind of hardcore. But uh, so, I mean, how do you feel about you know, your work being up on websites sort of adjacent to this other stuff. I mean, when we look at sort of the landscape of publishing, Isaac clearly has a site that's trying to appear, appeal to all readers, but that's a real challenge because readers aren't really appealed to like all things. And so how do you feel like as you're looking out there with your book, trying to get your book in front of people when it's up on a website like that? I mean, is that your core audience? Is that who you're trying to target? How does that? So it's interesting is that because I come out of fandom, Justin, Fandom is both big and small, but fandom has very focused venues to reach an audience. I know that if I go to and appear on Comic-Cons, if I go on certain podcasts, I know if I come on Tor.com or I go on io9, I'm going to reach audiences that love genre fiction. And eventually you reach a point where you feel like your message is out there enough and you've, you've appeared enough and I've done world builders and all kinds of things like that, that that audience knows me. And if they want to find me, discovery is not that much of a challenge. The, the thing that's frustrating for me is that the reading world is a heck of a lot bigger than that. Um, I'm a fantasy and science fiction freak, and the book in my bag is the Pulitzer Prize-winning Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. It's not a, I mean, I guess you could call it a genre novel because it's a Western, but the truth is, is that it is sort of the archetypical Western and the first real great Western, and in that, it transcends the genre of Westerns. Um, you know, it's not like a Louis L'Amour book. Um, and... I really do feel like not just I, but a lot of genre authors have something to say to a wider audience. Um, Lord knows, The Hunger Games, for example, is is you know shunted off as YA, you know, a teen love triangle story. But the truth is, it has some important things to say about oppressive societies and how people survive. It has things to say about traumas, uh, trauma, and how relationships uh, mutate under the effects of trauma, um, and is a really impressive book. And uh, I'm glad to see that it gets that kind of success. So one of the things I've tried to do, because I feel like I already have a megaphone in the genre world, is I formed a relationship with the independent bookstore Word Brooklyn in, um, here in New York that is basically an ind independent literary store that was willing to sort of showcase my books and have me uh, do events there. Um, and it's why I do events like Shipwrecked, which generally don't. Um, they're generally appeal to the larger bookish culture. And it's also why, in addition to BuzzFeed, I'm grateful for organizations like Book Riot, mm. um, which do, which, again, Justin, you have to remember that, that the idea of genre is a device that booksellers have used. And I don't mean this in a bad way, to try to help reach 
uh, consumers and say, hey, if you like X, you might like Y, because there's just too many books to choose from. Um, but one of the things I like is I really think there's a movement in organizations like BuzzFeed and Book Riot that are pushing back against that and saying that, hey, yeah, if you like X, you might like Y, but you might miss Z. And um, we don't really have a solution to that discovery problem yet, um, but uh, it's definitely one that I think is worth tackling. If I could just pipe in one other thing about, like, I talked a little bit earlier about BuzzFeed's kind of model that we want you to click it and to read it and to like it so much that you share it. Um, I'm not so much concerned with the people that come to BuzzFeed.com or BuzzFeed.com slash books. Um, and by not concerned, I don't, I mean, I'm glad every single person that does. But when we're writing our pieces, what we're really hoping is that they reach these niche audiences that they're written for on social channels. So what I, what I'm really doing is like if, if you see a piece, right, there's, there might be a literary essay. I want those to reach certain types of readers. But if you see that Bridget Jones thing, like I want that to re reach the readers that are, are fans of Bridget, Bridget Jones. And that's going to happen on these social channels, um, not so much just like them coming to the site looking. Um, so a lot of the different things that we make is, is, is built and getting back to kind of what Mike was saying earlier, it's almost like, the books, the readership world, it's a both big and small. It's this giant, like so many different people out there love books. But within that, that let's call it a fandom, the fandom of books. Within that fandom of books, there's so many different niches. And so what we do is we try to try to write content that will reach different types of people. Uh, and, and, and it will be something that they themselves really enjoy. And that can be all sorts of different types of, whether it's a recommendation list of hardcore urban science fiction fantasy uh, uh, or, or romance novels even. Uh, we had a, a writer that went to a romance convention um, and our, our main thing is to, to, to speak to these people as uh, like basically be like, we love this, we love books. W tell us why you love these specific types of books. I really want to go to a romance convention at some point. Like that's like something I want to do. The photos were so awesome. People were having so much fun and there were a lot of cowboys with abs. <laughs> can I, can I, a lot of people with Mike shirts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop. Oh, no, they had shirt. no shirts. There it is. Uh, can I tell you, Justin, um, I went to, I can't remember if it was RWA. It was RWA. Um, when it was in Times Square. What's RWA? A Romance Writers of America. Convention. Okay. It was in Times Square a few years back. I was going up this escalator into this hotel and there there was not a single man in sight. There were probably about, I could probably see in this giant ballroom sized lobby area that there was probably about a thousand women and no men at all. And I sat down with Mindy and I said, um, you know, where are the men? And she goes, well, you know, men don't write, write romance. And I was like, the fuck we don't. That's ridiculous. Men are 50% of the romance equation uh, in heterosexual relationships and 100% of it in a lot of the homosexual relationships. You know, we, we fall in love. We get married. We, we have sex. Why aren't we writing this? And uh, she said, well, you know, maybe there's a few that do it under pseudonyms, but generally for category romance, less for single title. Uh, men don't do it. And I swore this sacred oath that the day would come that I would write a category romance, uh, what, are, what are deprecatingly called bod bodice rippers. And it would be so good that when the editor finally made an offer, I would reveal that I was a man all along and, and change the genre. And I still hope to do it someday, you know, in my, in my copious spare time. Mike, I would read the shit out of your romance novel. Thank you very much. But I would, Hell yeah, man. I, I will say this. Um, Lorianne Gilman, who used to be an editor at Harlequin, um, when, I told, when I made the same speech to her, said, you know what, Mike, you need to calm down. 
she said, look, I'm not saying that you're not that you're not right. And I'm not saying that you can't do it, but you have a lot of reading to do first to Ooh, learn the genre. Yes. And it was she was and it really was a she was right. So I have done quite a bit of romance reading and have a little more to go or a lot more to go before I'm ready to write. And that's that's such an important thing, too. Uh, and this is the same thing when you're making when you're writing for the Internet or making recommendation lists. Uh, people can tell when you're faking it. Yeah. People can really tell when you're faking it, and that's why I'm really lucky to work at a place where I have so many coworkers who love different types of genres mm-hmm. and books, because we have people who are like our go-to YA people. Uh, we have people who are go-to romance people. We have people on staff who are actually real fans, because the one thing that will always, like, the one thing, and you know this too, coming out of fandom, faking it is going to be the thing that will destroy you quicker than anything else. Yeah, it is. I, I wonder, Isaac, from your position at BuzzFeed Books, do you feel like some of the genre constructions are, we all know they're sort of artificial in a marketing category, but do you think from your perspective that there are things that you all know about how people read and how people interact and how diverse people's reading interests are that maybe even publishers don't fully appreciate? Because I think publishers don't just think of genre as marketing categories. I think they actually think of like these groups of readers who do not stray outside of their narrow confines of which they sell to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I feel like anytime, and this is just not, we're not even just talking books here. I think anytime that you assume a human is narrow and sticks to their beliefs is wrong. Yep. (laughs) I totally agree. Just like with anything. Like the fact of the matter is, is that everyone is so complex. Um, That said, of course I understand. Try building a business around reaching the entire complexity of a human being, of course, that's not going to last very long. So I get it. There's, of course, need to categorize um, and, and, to, and to figure out different ways to, to sell things to people. I'm really excited that this is what we're talking about today because for a long time, I've been such a proponent of like, tear down this wall, like genre, literary, what does it matter? It's all books. It's all reading. I love it all. And I'm, for the record, still very much in that camp. But there's also a part of me that is, as I grow older, maybe, as I grow a little more mature, really is like I'm happy that there are these genres. Like I'm almost – because it's so fun to pick up a book, you know, again, especially if it's playing with – in the confines, but maybe even playing with the structure that it's supposed to be in. But those can sometimes be some of my favorite books. Um, and it's almost like if there weren't walls, what would we push against? Mm. Um, so I, I, it's, it's interesting that this is the subject tonight because this is something I've only been thinking about just these last couple of days, to be honest, because I picked up, uh, the regional office is under attack, which is this new book by Manuel Gonzalez. Love. I'm reading it right now, just for the record. I absolutely love it. It's coming from Riverhead books. The premise is that there is like almost a superhero fortress a mile below Manhattan that you get to through a travel agency that only trains badass women to be these crazy assassins that maybe even sometimes go to other universes and and, and like timelines and that there's this in t- this internal strife uh, where where and again I it's 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 almost like a mystery too because you're trying to figure out what's happening as you read it uh, so, like, I don't even quite know what's going on because I'm still in the middle of it. But it very much seems like maybe some of the women that were trained have broken off and are now attacking the people that made them. 
it's awesome. It's fantastic. It's fun. And to be honest, I'd been reading, like, you know, let's be, I'd read A Little Life recently. Like, I've been reading these really big tomes. Uh, and it was so fun to pick up this book and love it. But at its, at its heart, we're talking about almost uh, a, a, a very, don't get me wrong, very well-written, incredible voice, novelized comic book. And it, it's yeah. fantastic. And so this is what I'm talking about. Where, where are we without these walls to push against? And I'm so happy to see Riverhead is, is, is publishing it. Um, but like, this is like, I, I, I'm like, I'm very, when people are sometimes like, genre, there should be no wall between genre and literary. I'm like, actually, that's where the fun happens. But what's interesting about that, Isaac, is that book, Riverhead, right? So Riverhead Books is not what you would consider a genre publisher, right? I mean, they, they do like Juno Diaz and Marlon James and, and this one, this is more of a genre book. But published, but I, w- I don't want to say masquerading, but it, my guess is it's marketing category masquerading literary. Well, it was like Jeff Vandermeer, Justin, you know, with Annihilation and uh, with the whole Southern Reach trilogy, uh, which I absolutely went nuts for. Oh, it's awesome! I loved it. It's awesome, and it's it's absolutely genre, and you will not find it in the science fiction and fantasy section of your bookstore or Cormac McCarthy's post post apocalyptic science fiction novel the road yeah. which is um you, you know no one would ever accuse that of being a genre book or even colson whitehead zombie novel zone one i mean i'm just saying i love colson i love zone one so much i love and and like he's somebody that plays like almost every other book john ray does this too john ray has this book out right now called the lost time accidents john ray almost plays with a different type of book every time he writes uh but colson whitehead that, that zone one is straight up a zombie novel. It is, and like this is. I guess this is what I'm saying is like I I love I I love that writers. What am I what, what am I trying to say? Like I, guess, <laughs> I, like well, I said, I, this I, is an internal wrestling that I've been having for a long time because for so long I've been like tear down this wall. There, like books are books, and that's absolutely true. But God, I would be so sad. If science fiction didn't exist, I'd be so yeah. sad if fantasy didn't exist. I'd be, I grew up on Dungeons and Dragons books. Like, you know, like I, just the idea that there would be in a perfect world, there's just a bookstore that just says, this is all good, which is great. But at the same time, you need to have some yeah. walls to either push up against or so that somebody who's not in this world and sometimes, let's be honest, we have our heads up our own asses. <laughs> can actually find what they're looking for. And Justin, I, a way to rephrase it, I think, is um, when I was in college, you know that I'm like a proud nerd. I'm an anti-sports guy. I'm an anti-fraternity sorority guy. That's just my pet peeve. No offense to anybody. Still who's, jacked, who's though, just one. for the record. <laughs> so I, uh, I went, um, but I remember I was at a friend's house, and I was sounding off against fraternities and how this guy was no good because he was in a fraternity, which is just, I was an idiot back then, sorry. And the guy's mom turned to me and goes, Mike, you need to be a little more charitable. You know, this kid just came to college and he spent his whole life in Long Island or whatever. And the world to him is so big and so confusing and there's so much in it that what he needs to do is make the world a little smaller so he can digest it. And joining a fraternity is how he does that. And it was this great cathartic moment where, A, I realized I was being a dick and B, um, that concept that the world is so big and so diverse that it can overwhelm you with choice um, and that those walls are necessary to help narrow the window has some validity. So while I have the same frustrations that Isaac does, especially as a genre author that wants to reach a larger audience and would love to be 
respected in literary circles. I also understand why those genre walls are there because the alternative is is you know it's the same crisis that's been put put upon us with self publishing is that the range of choice is so gigantic that without some kind of curation, you just throw up your hands and go watch TV. And that would be a real disaster. But I, but I think what's real challenging here is we mentioned a, several authors just a minute ago. I mean, Justin Cronin's another one. Levin Austin Grossman are another ones who were ostensibly, they're no question writing science fiction and fantasy, but they aren't positioned that way. They're positioned as literary writers shelved in the general fiction section. And as somebody like you, Mike, who's writing... I mean, you're writing a book about a Navy SEAL with very contemporary problems. This is not some – the only step that you're taking away is that your main character happens to be possessed by a demon and can m- murder people very easily. <laughs> I mean, that's the only step away from reality that you've taken, which is actually a much smaller step away from reality than even Lev Grossman has taken with his magician books, right? Or, or an equally same step. But yet you essentially have no chance of being positioned that way right this minute. And so, and I think that's a weird challenge that we face as we look at sort of like this literary and commercial genre fiction and how they interact with one another. Justin, I've said this many times. Gemini Cell and Javelin Rain and Siege Line, which I'm writing now, um, they are PTSD novels. The I make it's a bald faced alligator or allegory or whatever you want to call it, bald faced <laughs> crocodile that that Jim Schweitzer being undead being dead and having to interact with his living wife and son is this chasm that can never be bridged, which is a a deliberate and bald-faced stand-in for coming back from war and not connecting with humanity anymore because all of your priorities have changed as a result of the experience. And I I, I did write it with that intention, and I did want it to to reach that broader message. Um, But a lot of it has to do with packaging. It's also an action novel. It has Larry Rostand covers. The first three novels have Michael Comark covers, which are very explosive and cartoony. It's released direct to mass market uh, uh, paperback, which uh, has impacts on book collectors. Um, So a lot of it has to do with how the publisher views they're going to get the most money out of the project. Because, uh, you know, look, uh, we talked about this with Dan Polanski. Um, Dan Polanski, who was signed by Doubleday, Lowtown, in my opinion, is one of the great dark noir fantasy novels. But because it was pitched as a literary book, um, and, uh, that it, it didn't get the attention that it so richly deserves. So, um, you know, publishers make the moves that, I mean, and in the end, publishers, while they're trying to create art and create a great literary uh, salon in the United States or in whatever country they're publishing in are also trying to make money and they position themselves in the way that they best know how to do that. And in my case, it was to package it as an action novel as a, in mass market. And I would, I also, I really feel like, and, and I do, I want to give another shout out to, to Austin Gross. I mean, I love the, I love yeah, Lev and amazing. I love, he's written for Buzzfeed books. If you, if you want to read a really good essay, Lev Grossman wrote this incredible essay about trying to write his, first novel when he was like 23 he like moved to Maine because he was like this is what writers do and it just really ends up with him like drunk like stealing pickles from his landlord in the basement it's so good you should read it it's so good just look up Lev Grossman BuzzFeed um but uh but Austin Grossman's I remember this is before I got into the book industry before you know I was just like working at bars in San Francisco I remember picking up his book soon I will be invincible and god uh, as as somebody that grew up just loving all sorts of different types of books and grew up reading comic books, uh, I loved that. I loved that novel so, Best so much. Best superhero novel written. 
It's so good. So um, good. And and I you know I I'm I can't speak for for Austin. He's not here, but like I would wonder how he felt about how that book did or how it got. To, and this is again, I know nothing about that. I, to be honest, I have no idea which section of the bookstore I even found that book in. But for me, it's it's yeah, it's it is about selling books, of course. But I'd also it's like prestige book sale numbers. Like I I feel like as a publishing industry, this we are all such anxious people. And we're so worried about everything. And the grass is almost always greener. I think if you were to talk to people who are publishing literary books, they're like, especially maybe books that are playing with genre uh, tropes, uh, they'd be like, shit, I wish I could actually sell science fiction numbers. Um, and then if you, if you were to talk to people on fantasy side, they're like, shit, all I want is like, just even, you know, it doesn't even have to be a full page review in the times i'd like to just be in that smaller like four books at once thing that'd be nice yeah um and it's just really interesting to watch that at play because really what we are is an industry built up of anxious people who are really always obsessed with 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 the grass being greener you know it's funny uh, i talked before justin uh, you know they say it's a pride of lions and a flock of sheep or whatever herd of horses i always say it's an anxiety of writers um but <laughs> i was a, i was a guest at book riot i was a guest at book riot live and i had the exact experience that isaac is talking about they had a party in the rare books room at the strand and i went up there and it was mostly literary writers i might have been the only genre science fiction writer there fantasy writer there and we start talking and I'm very bold with my sales numbers I don't mind sharing them with people and I like it when writers share them with me because it helps me understand you know how the field looks and I told them my sales numbers which I don't consider to be where I would like them to be and they were like oh my god genre they just sort of threw up their hands and were like genre you guys sell you know and I was just was a weird experience because I was looking at them as literary writers thinking wow I mean you guys you guys have wasta, as we say in Arabic. What's that? Wasta is this untranslatable Arabic wor- word, which means both status and um, position in the community and ethical. Um, uh, it's like the word mensch in Yiddish. If Got it. Means any- Gravitas. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or just like how everyone would say, like, your book's in the window. Yeah. One of the strangest things about this this paradigm between literary fiction authors and genre fiction authors is I think – Literary fiction authors know genre writers sell, and I think genre writers know they sell better generally than than litfic. The challenge is, though, to really be a runaway success, you have to cross out of genre. Like George R. R. Martin is not a huge success because he sells only to fantasy readers, right? He has a huge success because he sells well outside. Same thing with Charlene Harris, and same thing with, um, you know, the the people who really become mega stars are escaping. Well, that's but that's the same thing on the literary side. Think about the Goldfinch, right? That that doesn't become a success just because it's the hot book in the literary circles. It becomes right. the hot book that all of a sudden my sister's reading on the train. You know, like that's it. I mean, that's true. You have to, you have to break. It's everybody has to break out and reach multiple audiences. Yeah, Donna Tart doesn't say, you know what I need? I need science fiction readers. You know, like she says, I need readers. Right? She doesn't really care where they come from. Where I think I don't know. I think there's that misconception. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, Justin, because you know, like, just looking at from what I see, Charlene, you know, Charlene Harris has sold about thirty-five million books. But I'm trying to think of sales numbers I've seen from just genre writers. If Donna Tart got, I, she sewed up the science fiction fantasy market. Everybody who reads Brandon Sanderson is going to read Donna Tart. That's like a quarter of a million sales. 
you know, on the, on, and that's not a conservative estimate. So she may very well be thinking that, or at least her agent or her publisher may be thinking that. And I will, I will say this, uh, uh, not to give away too much at the end of that book, but it gets very action-y. It gets very, yeah. could be a, a scene, all right, maybe not, maybe more of a tampered down scene, but could be a scene in one of Mike's books. It gets very action-y toward, mm. toward the end of that book. Mm. Uh, another book that I'd mentioned earlier, again, uh, The Lost Time Accidents by John Ray, is uh, all about time. And like is is I think very much this massive novel that he, that also is about family histories and all these other things, but could definitely uh, I think go to toe to toe with some of the science fiction greats. Um, and I think he did that on purpose. I don't I don't I don't pretend to speak his mind, but I would if I was a gambling man, I would say that he was kind of interested in seeing if he could draw that kind of readership to the work that he's working on, much like Colson Whitehead did with Zone One. So, Mike, do you think the only thing that separates an Austin Grossman book that get, that ends up shelved in lit fic, or I should say general fiction, versus Mike Cole that's shelved in science fiction and fantasy, and the different opportunities that may or may not afford. I mean, do you think that's just a strictly like a, like the chance of your editor and your and your and the house that buys you and how it's positioned, or do you think there's something else, sort of to the way that books are put together that ends up with that? Like it's not just about setting and and that kind of thing. It's it's about something about the writing, or do you just think it's more about positioning? It, you know, it's tough to answer that question, um, Justin. I think that um, I'm a Joseph Campbell, hero with a thousand faces, monomyth guy. So I really believe that what makes a story great is what makes a story great. And that's regardless of, like I said, I'm reading Lonesome Dove right now. And all of the amazing characters in that story, uh, you know, I used to think George R. R. Martin was the greatest writer of character until I read this, this novel. Um, uh, but I think the one thing we're not discussing is what the writer is going for and how the writer, where the writer comes from, who the writer is, because now with the advent of social media, um, I can't put numbers on it, but I really do think a lot of my book sales and a lot of my fandom comes from people who are invested, not just in my books, but in me because they know me on Twitter. They know me on Facebook. They see me at conventions. Um, and you know, uh, that really has an impact. I came from science fiction and fantasy fandom. It never occurred to me to seek any agent other than 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 someone who is a SIFWA listed agent like Joshua Bilmes, who wound up becoming my agent, I it never occurred to me to want to be published on Bloomsbury or Riverhead or um, uh, Forge or any of these title uh, uh, imprints. I always was like it was like Ace Rock, it was Tor because that was my universe. Um, so I think that like. I've, I, my 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 thinking has become a lot more expansive now that I am a published writer, and also, mind you, Justin, I'm a published writer who lives in Brooklyn, New York, mm -hmm. in the in the middle of the literary ferment that is New York. If I lived like a lot of writers, John Scalzi lives in Ohio, Pat Rothfuss lives in um, Wisconsin, Scott Lynch in Michigan, although I think he may have moved to Massachusetts. My perspective may have been very different, and I and we, we may not even be having this conversation. I'm afforded this incredible luxury by being near the Strand, which is like one of the great bookstores in the world, um, and all of that culture that comes off of it. I never would have met Isaac um, if I'd lived somewhere else, um, which gives me a very, very different perspective. So I think I think the one thing we're neglecting is like who the writer is and what their driving forces in, in creating their work. And I want to build off that to also say that it's who the agents know and who the publishers know. Because that's the other thing. It's very easy to say the literary world or the book world or the science fiction world right. or the fantasy world. Right. But really, this boils down to relationships. 
relationships built over many, many years, and especially with a, an industry as old as publishing, uh, relationships may be even handed down and handed off. And it is really almost about where you made your entrance or what you grew up reading, what you wanted to emulate, what you were looking uh, at, at creating, and, and how you wanted to play with this different stuff. And it's also about how like larger scope could become. Uh, another writer that just comes to mind who loves to play in the sandbox is Kelly Link. Oh yeah, Kelly Link. Kelly Link, who in my opinion should be as common a name as Neil Gaiman. Uh, and, and I love and I love Gaiman, and, and I think he himself would agree with me when I say that, because mm. I think he is also a big fan of Kelly Link. Um, but what, a, what an incredibly fantastic writer that just like invents entire universes. Um, sometimes multiple ones just in one short story. Uh, but I would love to know, like, what, how is it that she kind of, what background did she come from? Where was she looking at? What was she working on? Where she enters, uh, enters kind of this world uh, where she does. Um, and I do, I do think we, as much as I love to say I'm interested in this wall and that's where the fun has, at the end of the day, I do think these walls are coming down. Uh, as much as I don't think the sections and may they live on forever again may fantasy live on forever may science fiction live on forever um but other folks that are writing very smartly about this lincoln michelle is a wonderful writer you can look up some of his essays on these kind of topics about the more i think more and more uh whether it's living in different communities although kelly links up in massachusetts but uh what mike's talking about right now i think as more and more people Go to these mixers. The fact that you're at that party at the Strand, right? And we're having these conversations. I think you're going to see more and more, um, not only just crossover in, in the different types of readers that we reach, but also in the different types of books that we herald. Uh, I think we're also stepping away from a time when you could only have one thing. When it was like, yes, I am a this fan. Whereas now, especially with the boom of the internet, we're allowed to be many, many different people. Mm. And thus, be many, many different fans which I think is really fun. You can stand for literary fiction and you can stand for science fiction and you can stand for the books that fall somewhere in between and that's okay. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, if you listen to this podcast, you will uh, you will have an opportunity to have some diverse interests. We've got a, uh, uh, a Navy SEAL demon uh, adventure urban fantasy novel called Javelin Rain by Mike Cole. We've got a storytelling book about tattoos called Pen and Ink. We've got a cool podcast called The Tell Show. I mean, we've got all kinds of diverse interests here. So... Uh, hopefully we're bringing communities together right here on this show. Oh, yeah. yeah. And awesome. I do. I, I, this has been an absolute blast. And I love Tor.com. I just want to say that. And I love what Tor Books does. I love, like, Tor is just such a fantastic place, both on the internet and IRL. And right down the street. That's right true. down the street from BuzzFeed. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you both coming on tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Isaac, I-S-A-A-C. Fitzgerald, F-I-T-Z-G-E-R-A-L-D. And just look for the little blue check mark. You can find me on uh, Twitter at, at Mike Cole. That's Mike with Y, M-Y-K-E-C-O-L-E. If you want to friend me on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Mike Cole, spelled the same way, or www.mikecole.com. And I would just say that if you're going to uh, follow Isaac, please also follow Mike and myself so we don't get further uh, deeper into the sense of inferiority since he has more followers. Yeah, also, let me tell you, you guys are probably a lot better. Most of my stuff's just me being drunk or falling off my skateboard. <laughs> no, he's a, he, he gives, Isaac gives good tweet. I can vouch for that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys being on tonight. This was fun. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you, Justin. All right, this has been Rocket Talk.